0: Hello and welcome to Nerdshit Halloween Edition, bishes. It's October first, and we've all went through our transformation from regular human beings to some kick-ass Halloween season motherfuckers, right? Right? Uh, if you can't notice from the uh, from the title, Nightmare on Nerd Street, this is not going to be a kids-friendly. Uh, podcasts, so just be ready for that. It's October 1st, and I can smell pumpkin spice and gore in the air. Smells funky. Oh, wait. (laughs) Never mind. That's me. I'm the one that stinks. My bad. Today, we're talking Nightmare on Elm Street, the whole franchise. Bitch. So y'all didn't know Freddy was the old school Jesse, did you? Well, if Jesse was a kid diddling life-ending sadist twat with knives for fingers. But don't worry, his tongue is sharper than his claws. Let's jump right in because I don't know how, it's gonna, how long it's going to take me. I'm going through too many movies at one time. (laughs) Let's start off with 1984 in November when Nightmare on Elm Street first hit us. It was directed and written by Wes Craven and produced by Bob Shea. Bob Shea will go on to produce all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets until Freddy's dead. First of all, hell to the chief. Nancy becomes one of the most amazing heroines ever written. And and that's almost bar none. Uh, Wes Craven was known for that. Uh, you can die from your nightmares? Holy shit! See, it's shit like Nightmare on Elm Street that changed slashers for all eternity. Wes Craven made the last house on the left uh, to prove to himself and to us that... He could come up with some crazy ideas, and that really got him into the business. Then he made Nightmare on Elm Street uh, to change things. We were given a feminist script, and it immortalized his school bully's name as a kid diddling psychopathic piece of shit. Bitch. <laughs> Wes Craven and Bob Shay made a phenomenal team, but except they didn't. They both had really strong egos. When Nancy turned her back on uh, her attacker and took her power back, Wes Craven was done with the story. Uh, The ending of The Last House on the Left uh, would actually haunt Wes Craven uh, to the very end. Even though he does go back and has The Last House on the Left remade and changes the ending, the ending of that first movie kind of lives with him, and becomes his own personal nightmare. With Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven f- fixed that. Nancy was not only our hero, but she saved a little piece of Wes Craven, too. But Bob Shea thought differently. Uh, so here's the thing. Here, Here's what you gotta think about. The sequels are usually where you make the money, and Bob Shea hadn't been too long started New Line Cinema, and he was running New Line Cinema out of the trunk of his car, seriously. He was hustling. He was a man with a plan, and most people will tell you he was awkward, straightforward, sometimes a little too much, and where he spits, grass never grows again. (laughs) No matter what you think about him, he brought us one of the greatest franchises in the history of horror, and that's bar none. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street will live on for generations as one of the scariest films ever made. In this film, Nancy and friends are haunted by their nightmares because their parents killed a murdering piece of shit when he was acquitted by the courts. Vigilantism is a theme in many of Wes Craven's films. After Freddy's dead, he decides that he can get revenge... Uh, the how is revealed eventually in Freddy's dead. Only through facing her fears can she defeat her foe and save her family. Best kills from this film. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I know you think I'm going to talk about Johnny Depp's death in this, in this film. And I, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, oh my, my, my. Johnny Depp, let's just take a beat and, uh, wipe that chin of yours. There's definitely some dribble there. Um, thinking about him in bed with those dreamy eyes. <laughs> Only to be sucked down and blended into some Johnny juice. Quite literally, Johnny was pulled into the bed by Freddy Krueger and blended up into a yummy little smoothie. Uh, pretty far out, but no, I don't think that's the best. I gotta tell you, the best is drum roll. God damn it, I got spittle all over my microphone. Tina's upside down death scene. They filmed it with a rolling room and superimposed the images on top of each other. First off, holy shit! Second off, this is by far one of the most brutal and scariest shots in the history of film. She is brutally murdered in front of our eyes in two worlds, reality and dream. And I'm not talking quick chops and, and with an ax and cough, cough, <laughs> Jason. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going all the way with that one. I'm, I'm setting up for Freddy versus Jason, but this is real terror. This is real terror. Seriously. Nightmare has some amazingly horrifying deaths, but this one will always remain bu- brutal. And that's because Wes Craven always had some of the most brutal shots in all in many of his films. Um, he does it again with Scream, and he does it time and time again. If you haven't seen The Last House on the left, I will tell you to watch it. I have only seen it once, and I can't bring myself to, to watch it Anymore. It's it's a hard pill to swallow. It's it's good, but it's a hard pill to swallow. Wes Craven was truly a master of horror. That brings us into Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, out in November of eighty five. Now, this one was directed by Jack Shoulder and written by David Chashkin. Um, The directors for the Nightmare series are basically like your um, Defense Against the Dark art students. They're never the same, except for Wes Craven does come back a couple of times. But he has such a problem working with um, Bob Shea that he decides that he doesn't want to do it too often. And he won't come back and direct until a uh, new nightmare. And uh, Bob Shea is not actually uh, the physical producer of that one. Uh, Freddy's, Freddy's revenge. What can I say? A teenage boy is haunted by his nightmares and becomes schizophrenic or multiple personality. Uh, basically <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty geniusly done in this in this one, Freddy uh, got a taste of killing in the real world and has figured out how he can work himself up to possess Jesse. This is really the first movie that gives uh, me the feels. Okay, I-, I know what you're saying. Here we go. I'm the asshole. This is a shitty movie. It's it's B. It's most people consider it the worst of all of the Freddy movies. I do not. Um. For quite a few different reasons. So, seriously, um, someone who thinks the greatest horror movies in the world are, uh, I I do, I I think Monster Squad and Killer Clowns from Outer Space are some of the greatest things ever made, uh, coupled with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, if you're a fan of silent films. Um, Dr. Caligari brought us some of the biggest twists. Saul type twists, really. But in all honesty, Jesse is a gender non-conforming character. He really is. Um, he's feminine at times. That scream is so fantastic. Ah! (laughs) I can't do it. Good for you. Um, but he's, he's also masculine at times, but not like, not like, People imagine masculinity should be, um, you know, not that honky-tonk, yub-yub, I'm a man beating my chest uh, kind of masculinity, but more of a millennial masculine. We are reminded of that masculinity by, um, by Mr. Walsh, Jesse's dad, played by uh, Clue Gulliger, who was also in uh, Return of the Living Dead. And throughout the movie, he, he tries to tell Jesse what he's supposed to be doing, how he's supposed to be acting like a man, and all those things that we've heard. So this film kind of takes a stand against that masculinity, and you don't see that a lot. Uh, trust me, the generation of men before me had bigger dicks, and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think he's bi, uh, this is that uh, meta what if shit uh, is gonna be coming in, um, but if you read between the lines, he's in love with Lisa, played by Kim Myers, who, by the way, is in fact a Meryl Streep clone. I'm I'm not shitting you. She has to be. She looks just like her. Uh, Scouts honor. Satan Scouts. 1984. Bitches. <laughs> I knew how to hex the best when I was only two. Jesse was also in love with Grady, played by the fine young wine Robert Rustler. he's—he's uh, he's pretty, you know. Um, and the way they act between each other, there's, there's a lot more in their stares. Uh, they're very, they're very sensitive with each other. I think. Um, And from the famed kazoo dance uh, to the intimate scene right before Freddie guts Grady like a fish, Jesse, Jesse's heart, Jesse hearts Brady, you know, Uh, Jesse hearts Grady. There's no getting around that. Uh, They weren't just besties. I think they were experimenting, baby. Prove me wrong. I dare you. But it was Lisa that saved the day. She swoops in like Prince Charming and saves the day. It really is a good formula. It isn't a boy survivor story. It's a, it's a non-conforming survivor uh, story. You know, my favorite they, them stuff, bitch. Um, anyway, Lisa leads uh, an exorcism. With love, fuck the Jesus and and pagan gods and and all of that Catholic shit. She actually talks Jesse into uh, overpowering Freddy because Freddy has taken over his his body. So this is an atheist exorcism, bitches, and it is motherfucking genius. We'll see some attempts at like supernatural healing and fixing all throughout the Freddy franchise, but I think this is the closest ones to actually uh, do a good job at it. Now you know how I feel about relationships in movies. Well, this one was earned, uh, and, and I actually do love it, uh, all the way up until Freddy takes them out of uh, Springwood, Illinois, and into the Palmdale Desert in a bus uh, and sends them all straight to death. No survivors, bitches. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah, and this one apparently, um, Bob Shea got that, that ending that he's been wanting, and it's, and it's really left open. Um, it's not like the ending of, of the first one where Nancy is in the convertible and then the Freddy thing pops open but that's kind of just written out and it's just for shock it could have been a dream or whatever but we actually see them taken out to the desert and we never hear from them again so it looks like they all die the best the best death scene in uh this by far is the death of Grading. The party scene will go on to inspire Nightmare on, on My Street with Will Smith, and the coach's death, what can we say, pure genius, balls flying everywhere, he's being pulled by that those jump ropes, and then he's pulled up, and then the, the mist comes in. Jesse kind of disappears, and then Freddie walks forward. So you got that first hint that Freddie is taking over Jesse's body, and then he slashes the coach in uh, some type of BDSM-gone-wrong nightmare. Uh, but holy shit, they showed us with Tina's death uh, in the first movie that they could scare us with some of the most amazing gore. But Grady's scene... This scene, where most of it happens behind the door, strikes fear into my heart. Um, We see Jesse, we see him trying to help. Uh, We see Grady trying to help Jesse, excuse me. We see Jesse being helped by Grady, and he goes full Freddy. We see the knives come out of his fingers, and we go to this crazy-ass transformation where... Where Freddy just takes over everything. And in the end, it's Freddy. And then from the other side of the door, we hear the parents. And then we see those nails just come through. And you know exactly where they went. Because you knew where he was standing. And then you see those claws dragged down. And then it goes back and forth between Grady's scared eyes. To the claws outside the door. And you... You're brought to this moment of complete and utter fear. It's crazy, um, and, and it is one of those one of those ones where your imagination really does have to work for you, and the imagination can do much more uh, than gore can do. This leads us to Nightmare on Elm Street three. Yay! Dream Warriors. So, in between two and three, we had about three years. Uh, This kind of becomes... The movies... This franchise came out as fast as they could get them to come out. And that's because Bob Shea wanted to capitalize on still having the genre in in the news. And this is actually a trick that most new horrors have used. From the Saw uh, movies to the the supernatural ghost movies to um, just about anything, they try to bring it out every year to see if they can keep hitting it big, and usually they do, because people trust those those uh, titles, those returning sequel titles to give them the scare that they want in the horror movie. Nightmare on Elm Street Three: Dream Warriors. I think is one of the strongest scripts and movies in the franchise it came out in February of 87 so that everybody could go and watch this horror movie for Valentine's Day and horror is perfect for Valentine's Day this is directed by Chuck Russell and written by um, Wes Craven and Frank Darabont Uh, so Wes Craven did not like the second one He didn't like all of the, all of the comedy that came out of it, which too was still pretty scary, but there were quips and there was a lot of comedy in, uh, what people would call the gayness of it. They, they called Freddy's revenge, the gayest of the nightmare. And that was just because you had a different type of masculinity in it. And and that's the truth. But, um, there's a reason why this is the best of the Nightmare movies. OG people don't hate. Uh, seriously, this story, the storyline of Hypnosil comes up, and it'll continue all the way through to Freddy vs. Jason, um, on and off, and, and learning to fight in their dreams will create the world, expanding the Freddy Krueger saga for a whole generation. it It's the pseudoscience that kind of brings people in. And it does it for me, too. I I like hearing it. This is also Patricia Arquette's first film. Uh, She's playing Kristen Parker. Uh, Unfortunately, the director, Chuck Russell, is very similar to Joss Whedon, or he was. And he spent his time screaming at Patricia Arquette and so many other people. He was too inexperienced whenever it came to doing this movie. And inexperienced directors tend to take their stress out on other people. Um, So it was a horrible experience for her. And when they did the sequel, they wanted to bring her back. And she was not down for it. So they brought in another character. They brought in another actor to play her character later on. Sad. Um, So, dear Chuck... You only have uh, 12 directing credits because you were a rude asshole to a member of the Arquette family. Bada bing, bada boom. There you are. Heather Langenkamp returns as the hero Nancy. And uh, if she's back, you can bet your sweet patootie that John Saxon is back as Lieutenant Thompson, who played her father in the first movie. Uh, Nancy makes you think that she's the hero, and you do, but remember in uh, good horror, if you're expecting the kill to come from the woods, the kill has to come from the lake uh, on the other side. You remember the rules in, in horror that Wes Craven gave us in Scream a decade later, right? Well, he continues with that. All bets are off and anyone can die, even the star. And she does, right at the end. The character Nancy, uh, the character that really pops out for me is Kincaid. Um, He's played by Ken uh, Sagos. He is a phenomenal character actor, so much so that he does come back in the next movie. In the end of uh, this one, Amanda Kruger appears and shows us that Freddie is basically the poster poster child of Pro-Choice uh seriously the sons of a hundred maniacs freddy needs to be buried so that they can lay him to rest and if they do that then he'll go away you know typical getting rid of a ghostly motherfucker shit consecrate the ground and bury his ass where no one can find him this is the movie that starts off with the two decade vision of getting jason and freddy together as well uh, after this, there's something in each movie trying to get them together. Uh, things named Jason, things named Freddy, uh, all different types of things. So it's, it's that promise that we eventually get uh, by Ronnie Yu. With the help of Lieutenant Thompson, Neil goes to find the body of Nancy And Nancy goes to help the dream warriors. She's teaching them to use their dreams uh, and then using hypno-seal to to suppress their dreams. Uh, The concept of training them to fight for themselves is pretty genius. It's another one of those uh, cravenisms, uh, if you will. Nancy once again saves the day, but she gets shanked in the process, leaving Kristen as the survivor girl uh, who does not uh, want to return. Well, shit. Best death scene. Uh, there are not as many deaths in this film, probably because Freddy got a little happy at the party in Freddy's Revenge and ripped through a whole party of guests. <laughs> he got his revenge, lots of kills. But the one that sticks with me, and I've used this in some of my horror plays uh, is the puppet death the supposed suicide of, of philip philip anderson philip has his wrists slashed and his veins are pulled out um, and freddie uses them as a statistic ass puppeteer he brings phil can i call him phil ah fuck it it doesn't really matter he's dead <laughs> he's not gonna pro- pro- protest phil is brought to the roof of the institution and chucked off like a sack of potatoes as everyone watches. Yeah, instead of someone rushing to help him, uh, they just stare, and scream like a bunch of prized dog dicks, red rockets to the rescue bitches. However, best line throughout the whole Nightmare franchise comes from this foot comes from this film. Uh, it's when he picks the lady up and it slams her head through the TV. Welcome to primetime, bitch! (laughs) Best ever. Uh, This brings us to Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. Now, this came out in 88. Once again, we have not much time in between the, the sequels because they want to capitalize on everybody knowing uh, the Nightmare franchise. Uh, this one is directed by Rennie Harlan and the beginning of it is written by Brian Helgeland and uh, Ken and Jim Wheat. But there's a problem in it and there's a strike and Bob Shea is trying to get the film finished and this is Rennie's first time as a big director and he needed this so he could not uh, take the strike. He was not a union member and thus he started writing himself because they couldn't use the other material and it was a mix, a match and kind of a touch and go as they were, as they were in the middle of filming this and getting it ready. Uh, Dream master is Rennie, Rennie Harlan's breakout film. Uh, You have him to thank for cliffhanger. If you're wondering, Bob Shea thinks he worked well with Rennie, but Rennie was fighting budget, dealing with the script, not being finished and having to finish it himself. It was truly amazing uh, the story that we did get but to be honest uh, they had to push the last plot forward and introduce something new. So we had a new actress playing Kristen who was uh, Arquette's character from the last movie, and uh, it killed off the best character first, Kincaid. It was pretty annoying. I I think that he was the best executed and the best written character. Um, it's a pretty awesome way that they killed him off, but had I been the writer and the director, Kincaid would have been the lead for this film, for the simple fact that I don't think the way they went uh, was very well done, very well uh, executed. I think that it was just a little weak. Um, once again, we have the story of Amanda Kruger coming out, um, and it's kind of built up. So we go after that from the last film. Then there's just so much going on in this film that there's a lot of subplots and not one main plot. Seriously, um, it's a whole can of worms to be to be honest. Uh, I think they did the best that they could, um, but there's a whole slew of problems with this movie, and that's because it wasn't properly produced. The best death by far is uh, Kincaid's death. I know, I, I'm bitching that they killed off Kincaid, but his death was the best. Um, I know the copycat bed death scene in the film, it's pretty awesome with the waterbed, but it's, it's kind of a copycat from Glenn's death in, in the first film. Um, it's kind of nice to nod the head back to that, but it's not original. And this is a film franchise that is that is known for being uh, original. Uh, so to be honest, it's Kincaid's death all the way. He uses the setup to let people know that Freddy's back. You know, he he kind of contacts them. We see his dog named Jason digging up. Freddy's remains and it resurrects him because the thoughts pour right back into him, the thoughts and the fear that's already around. Um, They're already talking about Freddy. They're already worried about the nightmares. So that in and of itself will stir up uh, Freddy's disease. That's basically the way it's carried throughout all of the franchise. Um, You remember him. It's a disease and you're plagued for the rest of your life until he kills you. So, the the dog resurrects freddie freddie comes back and he chases kincaid through this nightmarish uh labyrinth of old cars stacked up on top of each other it's very much like that scene in labyrinth where they're in the where they're in the salvage yard and you have that character with everything on her back and freddie's still a little weak but he has just enough energy to kill kincaid and before kincaid is Dead. He jumps up and shouts, Freddy's back!" <laughs> so, fun. Now that brings us to Nightmare on Elm Street Five, Dream Child. It came out in August of '89. Still running with that, with that a year less than a year. Let's get it out on time. Let's make sure that we're that we're getting some some good stuff, and people haven't forgotten about us. Uh, This is directed by uh, Stephen Hopkins uh, and written by Leslie Boehm. There were a lot of amazing moments in this movie. And there were a lot of good scenes. But I will say, I'm not a fan of Dream Child. There were some really amazing things. I honestly prefer Dream Master over Dream Child. I think Dream Child is probably... The weakest link whenever it comes to the the Nightmare franchise. It just doesn't make me happy. To me, Dream Child is the weakest link. I, I know I talk a lot of shit about Dream Master. It had its problems, production being the main one, but Dream Child poses more problems for me. For one, using the fetus's dreams is both genius and dumb as fuck. The brain only starts to shoot electricity at the end of the sixth week of, a, of the development of a free fetus. Um, it's not fully functional. It's just starting to shoot electrical currents. Dreams don't come until about week 23. And this movie, if it was supposed to be 23 weeks, it's not evident. She doesn't have a belly. She's not showing at all Um, and they attribute complete senses to the fetus whenever, uh, Alice is talking with, uh, with the baby. So in that concept, I kind of check out and I just roll my eyes, but the rest of the film is fascinating. Um, the deaths are some of the best in the franchise, um, they don't really play around. They, they really get into it. Um, all through the movie, we're learning more about Amanda Kruger, and the whole point is that this movie is, Ooh, I'ma tell your mama on you. <laughs> For some reason, I heard that in Dee's voice from What's Happening. Ooh, I'ma tell mama on you, Raj. Um, I mean... What the fuck? They tried burning him. They tried an exorcism. Uh, they tried burying him. They tried mastering the dream world. But Freddy Krueger is just a big old bitch that, that keeps coming no matter what. You know, He just comes back over and over and over and over again. So what the fuck? So it seems natural that they tell his mama and, and have his mama spank his tank tank. That's right. That's right. Spank the tank spank the tank if there was ever a poster child and I've said this before for pro-choice it would be Freddy Krueger but I think that maybe this movie graduates for pro-abortion because Freddy Krueger was just awful and this movie makes you not want to ever have a child because when they do show her child oh my god He's like the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's got those big, scary eyes. He's one of the kids from the Children of the Corn. And the kid's name is Jacob. Who the fuck ever wants to name their kid Jacob? That is a scary name in and of itself. But this boy looks like death rolled over. It is scary just looking at him, especially the colors and then his voice. Ah. <laughs> I, just thinking about the character of Jacob makes me cringe, but at the end of the movie, they release Amanda Kruger from where she's trapped, the the tower with the hundred maniacs where she was raped and given the fetus of Freddy Kruger, but that eventually becomes Freddy Krueger, and then she comes out, and then she's like, your mom whenever she comes home from work and you know you're in trouble you know it's about to go down and freddie gives her the look like that he looks back he sees amanda kruger is there and his eyes get huge and he's like oh no someone told my mama so it's it's just one of those silly crazy ideas and then she takes uh this demonized baby big-headed ugly looking baby Freddy Krueger holds it to her tummy and then he evaporates into her tummy and then she goes behind this door and the door slams shut and then his hand comes out of her belly and it's just oh my god it's it's too much seriously she should have just spanked this tank tank a little more in his life that's that's just how I feel ah maybe I'm wrong The, the best the best death scene um, would have to be it would have to be uh, Marks. Uh, Greta's was super cool, and uh, brought it brought eating dysfunctions and disorders uh, to mainstream audiences. Uh, so she so she was fed way too much, and then she kind of choked, and he was just holding her up like a baby, and everybody could see her, and she just choked to death. Um, so it was, it was pretty interesting, but Mark's death, going into a comic book world and slicing and dicing the comic book character into the, then watching the color drain like blood and then watching him get ripped into tiny little pieces only to see the hand fall down and imagine the rest of the carnage was fucking genius fucking genius at the end you just had that that gore of the hand being cut off laying there and you're like oh my god what did i just witness and that brings us to freddy's dead the final nightmare or so they say they never know what final means um it came out in september of 91 still trying to culminate on that let's not wait too long this was uh, directed by Rachel Tulele, uh a phenomenal studio-style director with 63 whopping credits as director, and written by Michael De DeLuca. Uh, there were a few deaths in the fall of, ni- of 91 that shook me to the core. Freddie Mercury, Jim Henson, and now goddamn Freddie Krueger. In the true essence of Freddie, um, Freddie was basically destroyed in this movie and would never ever be the same. This was the last one that Bob Shea actually produced hands-on. And say what you will about Bob Shea, but um, he'll return later in like New Nightmare just to face, you know, just to save face as himself. But he won't actually do the day-to-day producing on any more of the Nightmare projects from here on out. Uh, There was a sharp edge to the ones that he did actually work on. Alrighty, kitties. We're at six. When your franchise is on the sixth movie, you can damn sure do whatever in the hell you want to do. And they do. We have 3D Freddy becomes an immortal demon with the permission of three worms in his head. <laughs> they have to enter through his mouth. Mm hmm, baby. And god damn it, he only got. Four real kills in this one. Oh, bother. This one is about male frailty and superiority. It really is. Throughout the movie, the boy John Doe thinks he's Freddy's kid because he thinks he's so special because he can't remember who he is. Uh, when we as an audience know that it was a daughter that Freddy had, and so we know it's not John Doe. John Doe gets a little too full of himself, um, thinking Freddy isn't going to kill him, Uh only to be told he was the dog that went out to go fetch his daughter. Uh, his daughter's line said over and over and over again, I won't tell, only to be reciprocated by Freddie later in the movie, but you did, didn't you? Uh, then we get to see the fight of daddy and daughter like some kind of trailer park trash hoedown. It's hilarious. Now, uh when, when we saw John Doe die, we, we did see a very cartoony death. He was pulled out of a car, uh, hundreds of feet into the air and let fall. Uh, it was very, very much like Bugs Bunny. Um, Freddy was there with him and he was cutting the, the little ties that, uh, attached to the parachute. And after he did that, the guy started moving The guy started falling at regular speed again. And then we see uh, Freddie bring in a whole bed of nails, plop it down. And he looks at the screen and he takes a breath or two. And I swear to God in that moment, I'm waiting for him to say, gosh, ain't I a stinker? But we never get that. So that's a sad part for me. Getting back to uh, the daddy-daughter dance. (laughs) Um, so the, the daughter, she fights Freddie. She has all of these knives that she's throwing at him. And then she gets a crowbar and she goes up to him and slams the crowbar through one of his arms and all the way through his chest. Freddie has been pulled into the real world. Once again, like they did in, uh, the original nightmare on Elm street where, uh, Nancy pulled him into the real world and he couldn't face her. Uh, because he wasn't strong enough. But things are different now. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfection. She stabs Freddy with multiple throwing knives. The crowbar. And then she takes the glove and puts it on. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Try it on. Try it on. And it's like, why are you telling her to try it on? Does...? And then he's like, let me show you how to use it. And she's like, I already know how to use it. <laughs> so she runs up on him and stabs him. Freddie gets stabbed with his knife, with his own knives, more than anybody should ever do. But I guess that's the ultimate uh, insult. After he's stabbed with his own gloves, uh, we see the worms pop out of his head. And this is where you're supposed to put on your uh, 3D glasses, folks. Because this movie is a 3D movie. So you can see the worms just swimming around. Uh, well, I should say, not worms. They're demonic dream masters. They come out of they come out of his head, and we have that awesome three D effect. That's not like new three D, where everything is supposed to be three D, and it's this great background. Oh, we made three D so that you can you can enjoy the background and that bullshit. No, um, it's real three D, where things are swimming around your head. And it's pretty awesome because you feel like you can just stick your tongue out and lick one of those flying worms in the face like you would three giant balls. You know, just motorboat them. But they're balls. They're sensitive. So it's more like, you know, not too hard. Not too hard. They're sensitive. The best death in this scene um, has to go to Carlos. The use of the hearing aid is fucking genius. Uh, so he screams whenever Freddy takes his hearing aid, Give me back my hearing! And uh, so Freddy gives it back to him, and uh, Freddy turns the hearing all the way up, and the hearing aid turns into like this Lovecraftian creature that digs into his, uh, Carlos's head. And Freddy uses his nails on a chalkboard to just blow up his head. It's dead, 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 you know. Um, We're at this point to where we can do just about anything. And that's something that this franchise is known for, is these pretty amazing and specific uh, deaths. So this brings us to Wes Craven's new nightmare. Uh, It came out in 94, a few years after uh, the last. And once again, Wes Craven returns as director and writer. Wes Craven worked his whole life to be a dreamer and an earth mover, and he was. New Nightmare gave us a different Freddy Krueger. Um, We start off with a mechanical killer glove, uh, a Luddite's wet dream, you know. The servos go crazy and fuck up its designers and then Heather Langenkamp wakes up from this nightmare uh, to, an, to an earthquake in L.A. The premise, the beginning, fucking genius. Um, I think this really drew me in um, for the movie, but it's kind of like Ghost Ship, you know the idea and the premise of this movie, bringing the fear from the movie to real life and art creating life is great. But then they cast the kid that played Gage in Pet Cemetery to play Heather's kid and all he really knew how to do or all he was ever directed to do was to to just scream and scream and make noise and There's nothing worse than a child that thinks they're cute and they're not. Seriously, because he was not cute. He was fucking annoying. It's been about three years um, that the world had gotten used to the idea of no new Freddy movies. See, keeping up with that, let's bring out a sequel, let's bring out a sequel, really did make a difference. Um, And I will tell you, I watched this one in theaters, because back then they didn't check IDs... Uh, you know, you bunch of pussies with your ID checks. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But um, I did watch it in theaters with, with a friend, and I loved it. I was a teenager at the time. Uh, it was like most of, of Craven's work. It was genre-breaking, and it pushed envelopes for horror. But to be honest, the kid messed up the whole film. It, it messed up, he messed up the whole idea. I like the idea of the dinosaur protecting him from Freddy and using that imagination. But he was much younger than any of the other kids. He was around the age that Freddy would have actually terrorized the kids. And then they were teenagers when he was dead. But it just did not work. Um, I don't know if it was the execution, if it was the writing, or if it was that the boy was in the movie too much and that all he would do is scream and talk in this stupid little voice where it was supposed to be like Freddy's voice, you know, like my bad impersonations. There's not enough deaths in in the film. Um, the idea of the actors is pretty fun, but the execution just doesn't hold a light to the rest of the franchise. Uh In the end, Freddy, or the fear demon, as he's become now in this film, uh, is burned like Freddy was done when he was alive. Beautiful beautiful scenery. Beautiful scenery. The columns. um, It looked like Dante's Inferno. That's, That's really what it reminded me of. And it was pretty fucking genius. But not so much for being a scary film. It ends up being like a popcorn flick. Yeah, it's fun to watch, and the new designs are nice, but the script is weak. It's super weak. Uh, Best death in this one? Uh, It's probably... There's not a lot in it. It's probably the glove uh, malfunction. When the glove malfunctions and kills its two creators, then uh, it's pretty terrifying. And that's how it starts off. But have you ever seen Ghost Ship? It's very much like Ghost Ship. It has an exciting beginning, and everything else is downhill. It's it's boring and too long. It's it's two hours, and if you're gonna have a two-hour Freddy movie with what four deaths, mm, it's not well thought out. Some of the uh, some of the hydroxyl Things and Dream Warriors were kind of pushed to the side and not really seen. Uh, I think Wes Craven had a narrow-minded vision of of what it would be, of what it could be, and I think that really hurt the film. Wes Craven wasn't was an amazing writer, but. I think he lacked vision on what this new nightmare could have been. It could have been a revamping, but he was never interested in sequels. He really wasn't. So, the long term, it suffered for that. Then, after that, and I feel like because New Nightmare fell so flat, and we saw that. Nancy had gotten old and there was no refreshing. We went a decade without uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, up until we got Freddy vs. Jason in August of 2003, almost a decade later. Uh, it's directed by the legendary Ronnie Yu and written by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift. Ronnie Yu is a fucking genius. I'm going on the record. And I'm saying this. He gave us The Bride of Chucky, which by far is the best Chucky movie. I'm, I'm, and I'm saying that as someone who absolutely adores all of the Child's Play and Chucky movies. Um, Tom Holland, who directed and created the first Child's Play, was a fucking genius. Don't get me wrong. And it was really good. And he took a doll and made it scary. Which is hard, because you could just kick that motherfucker into the fireplace and be done with it. But Ronnie Yu brought Chucky back from the brinks of death just like he did with the Fr- Freddy franchise. Um, and and that's that's really the way to put it. Uh, Ronnie, Yu went in with a different with a different thought and and he could see the bigger picture of bringing this back. Um, and it's it's one of the best of the best, you know. He goes all the way back to Nightmare 3, brings back the hydroxyl, and gives us a beautiful storyline of Freddy using Jason's mommy issues to resurrect him. And then to resurrect Freddy. So, but, there's st- but the real question is, is there enough room in a small town for these two predators? Fuck No. Jason has some real fun. He burns down a a country hick rave um, with some amazing tit-for-tat kills. Uh, Then he gets greedy and takes Freddy's kill. Aw, fuck that. Jason can't die as he was resurrected like Adam. You know, Frankenstein's monster. See, y'all didn't know Dr. Frankenstein gave gave him a name did you no you just want to call him monster and that's because you're too busy thinking about tacos for lunch and eating someone's ass for dessert aren't you see i know you selfish bitches. anyway following Mar- mary shelley's um and universal's rules there is no dying after that type of resurrection and jason went through that resurrection in uh friday the 13th six jason lives um, he's impelled, his body is impelled, and then it's struck by lightning. And then Alice Cooper's Feed My Frankenstein comes on, and the rest is history. There's no dying. Well, Jason just sits down in Camp Crystal Lake and is like, there's got to be more than, than slashing in this undead world and, and cuddling Mama's remains, you know. But it turns out, for Jason, there wasn't. So he just sat there until he rotted away. And then Freddy comes to him in one of his dreams as the mother and is like, kill for me, baby, kill for me. <laughs> um, many are, pe- many people are upset that Jason wasn't played by Kane Hodder. And in, in this movie, uh, Kane Hodder played Jason the most. There is a lot of, uh, Friday the 13th movies and, uh, Kane Hodder started playing Jason in Friday the 13th, 7. And he played him ever since then, I believe. But he wasn't tall enough standing up next to Robert Englund, who stands in at 5'10". And I think a quarter, you know, that quarter is important, right? Um, I'm okay with it. I think Ken Kersinger, who was hired to play Jason, came in and killed it. I mean, he nailed the shit out of the role. And Ken Kersinger stands at a uh, whopping six foot five inches. (laughs) Behemoth! Okay, so we have kids on hydroxacil and hidden away boyfriends, Jason Ritter um, is the boyfriend. So Jason comes in and kills a douchebag having sex with Ginger who tries to snap back, but it's the wrong movie and that's, that's the problem. Catherine Isabel, who was in uh ginger snap and ginger snaps back, um, plays Gib. Um, and she's sad that her douchey boyfriend has been killed and she kind of mopes around for the rest of the, for the rest of the film. Uh, you know, no good piece of shit boyfriends that are mourned. Jason folded that bitch up like a grilled cheese on the grill Just whop, after stabbing him like 20 times Kelly Rowland is thinking about a nose job and um, Freddie pulls off her nose <laughs> she also has bad tasting guys, go figure Monica Kina plays um, Laurie not, not Strode but you gotta know they had to be thinking that there's a tick there um, she's our new Nancy, and Jason Ritter comes in, and then Brendan F- Fletcher um, are the ones that have been put away for knowing about Freddie, for seeing Freddie. So they have to be put away so that they don't infect the other people. When they hear it's, um, that Freddie is spreading like a virus, um, there's a problem. They accidentally spread it again to people in the high school. So, um, there's a plot hole in there, though, because the second death in the movie has a nightmare about Freddy, mostly to show that Freddy needed to build up his strength to be killing people again. Um, But the kid never heard of Freddy, so there's a plot hole there, baby, but that's okay, that's okay. We're we're moving along from that. Um, Freddy and Jason goes through each other's fears. We see a nightmare of Jason's where Freddy dominates... In the dream world. Then we see Freddy pulled out of the dream world. And he's surrounded by by fire. So Jason is scared of water in his nightmares. And he's drowning in his nightmares. Which comes from the Jason series. And then Freddy is afraid of the fire. Which is how Freddy was, kind of, was killed in the beginning. Well. Then. Uh. Lori brings Freddy into the real world. Just grabs him and kidnaps him like, like the aliens do us, minus the uh, anal probe. And Freddy and Jason see each other in the middle of this fire, in the middle of this camp, and they go at each other like two college students sitting in the bar at 3 a.m. when they play Closing Time by Semisonic. Whoo! You knew they were on top of each other. Seeing this film, the first night in the theaters was so dramatic. It was, it was pretty fucking awesome. It was one of those moments where everybody just kind of, uh, enjoys being in theater and talking at the screen because you had people who was rooting on Jason. You have people who was rooting on Freddie and it was amazing to kind of see the tension build, but it was a, it was a fun tension, not, not a nowadays too anxious tension. Uh, you know Jason has to win because Freddy is pure evil, you know? He's a child diddler. He's got to die. He's got to lose. But the audience was screaming at every power change in the fight. And this was a long fight. They fight for about 20 to 30 minutes of, of the film. And that, I tell you, is really what made the film because we went to go see two monsters fight it out two monsters in history that have been built up by their own films. And it was pretty amazing. By far, it was one of the most amazing fight scenes in film history because of the characters and because of the length of the fight. And there wasn't a lot of jumping around during the fight, too. We actually got to see them go at it. I mean, it even rivals the Star Wars Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker fight. It really does. But when Lori beheads Freddy after all the shenanigans, you still cheer, you know, no matter if you were rooting on Jason or Freddy, I will tell you, I thought that Freddy had this one in the bag because he's smarter than Jason. And that's, that's where he was getting it back. And of course the humans had to intervene. So I was team Freddy, but I knew Freddy could not win. So there's that. And then the very end, when you see Jason emerge out of the water in Camp Crystal Lake, and it's somewhere in this nether world that he goes to, because it's all foggy and everything. And they wait till the last minute to reveal Freddy's head. Oh, oh, oh! What's gonna happen? And then the Freddy's head looks at the screen and winks, and you're like, "This was fucking awesome." I mean, what more can you ask for? Uh, the best death in this film was probably, wasn't Shaq. I know, who the fuck is Shaq? Um, It's the guy who was running and screaming in the cornfield where the flaming machete came through his chest and then he spit up the blood. That was fucking awesome. Uh, But for me, the best death was the one that broke the rules where you can't really be killed once you wake up. It was Mark's death. Yeah, in this, in this, uh, movie. Um, so Mark is fighting Freddy and Freddy says he needs. So Mark is fighting Freddy and, and Freddy says he needs him to pass on a message. Mark refuses and Freddy burns, uh, Freddy burns, um, uh, the back of Mark and into it, it says Freddy's back. And then he slashes Mark's face ruthlessly, kind of making sure, you know, no, nah, he's going to die. And, uh, although Jason plunging Freddy's glove, once again, he gets stabbed with his own glove through Freddy's chest was fucking badass and an awesome way to end that fight. um, I will not talk about the 2010 film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's that's because I will say it was good writing. Everyone did their best in it, and I appreciate the work that went into it. But the truth, is, the truth of the film is that they did everything they possibly could do, and they did it well. But we, as a Freddy Nation, was not ready. For Robert England to be replaced. Jackie Earl Haley did the best he could do, and I think he made an interesting Freddy Krueger and he made it his own. But we were not ready to pass on our Boogeyman. Robert England is a phenomenal character actor um, that has been in so many other films. You know, he's in his 70s and he's still not slowing down. He's still active in horror, sci-fi, and so much more. This is a love letter to Mr. England. Thank you for all of the laughs and making Freddy Krueger immortal. Happy Halloween, bishes, and I'll see you next week when we talk about killer clowns from outer space!